in my practice, the very first thing I ask people to do is think about what is your why? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to go on this journey? Because it's going to be work. Yeah. And to be willing to do the work, you have a very helpful to have a lot of clarity as to what is going to help you to be willing to do this. Often it's for our children, our grandchildren, our spouse. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore Supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Currently, over 70 to 75% of autoimmune conditions are found in women, leaving millions of women looking for answers to debilitating symptoms and often coming up short. In the case of Dr. Terry Walls, she did what many told her were impossible. She reversed her irreversible disease and continues to conquer multiple sclerosis one day at a time. And just to note that multiple sclerosis is one of the most debilitating autoimmune conditions out there and is considered irreversible. Now, Dr. Walls uses a combination of a modified paleo diet known as the Walls Protocol, and I'm going to have a link to her book that really goes through this in detail, and offers other lifestyle choices to manage her chronic disease, which has helped many others on their path to healing autoimmunity with a lot of success. So I want you to know, and I know Dr. Walls wants you to know, that it's possible to correct your cells when you give them the right environment to heal. Dr. Walls is here to lay out exactly how she was able to get her MS under control and the clinical trials that she's using right now to look at modified diets, movement protocols, and even mitochondrial protocols to help reverse what is considered an irreversible disease. And what's really great is that a lot of this information transcends to other autoimmune conditions as well. And one of the pieces that we're going to connect in is how do we even look at preventing some of the root causes that lead to autoimmune conditions down the road? Because there's often telltale signs leading into what may eventually become an autoimmune condition. And some of the signs and symptoms that she talked about regarding um, symptomology before she was diagnosed with MS felt very similar to the symptoms that I have dealt with before I was diagnosed with Hajimoto's. Now, what Dr. Walls is going to be talking about in regards to her modified paleo diet is the types of changes that she's used to really reverse a really incredible autoimmune condition. Now, this plan is created for vegetarians, vegans, meat eaters, and everything in between. So it's really just figuring out what works best for you. And the intention here is to reduce the inflammatory process. Now, she also adopts mindset, gratitude, PT, physical therapy, movement. There's so many other components to the healing journey. 
But what I love most about the modified paleo protocol, the Dr. Walls protocol, is it's so similar to my 14-day detox. You know, when I was creating the 14-day detox that is addressing insulin resistance and gut and liver issues, it was also addressing that simmering inflammation that's below the seams that we just don't always notice. You'll hear a lot of similarities, right? No eggs, no gluten, no processed grains, no processed foods, no processed sugar, processed meats, dairy. Those are oftentimes components of low-grade inflammation that can add up over time. And this was the protocol that she's used that has really made big gains in terms of healing her irreversible MS. You know, she has definitely defied the odds in that way. So before I bring Dr. Terry Walls onto the show, which I believe is just, it's such a powerful conversation to have with so many women struggling with inflammatory issues, especially around autoimmunity. But before I do that, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Terry Walls is an Institute of Functional Medicine. She's a certified practitioner. She's a clinical professor at the medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials in a settings for multiple sclerosis. 2018, she was awarded the Institute of Functional Medicine's award for contributing to her research, clinical care, and patient advocacy. She's the author of the national best-selling book, The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. And then she also has a cookbook because I know how challenging this can be, which is called the Walls Protocol Cooking for Life books. I'll have the links to the books inside of the show notes for you to go and check out. I highly recommend it. I have read both and they have been super helpful in my own journey. Let's welcome Dr. Terry Walls to the show. Welcome, Dr. Terry Walls, to the show. Once again, I am so thrilled to have you, and I'm so thrilled to hear about the most current research, not only in regards to multiple sclerosis, but also autoimmune disease, especially because it has a profoundly disproportionate effect on women, and that who's listening to this show. So I wanted to just start off, I know you had been on the show a couple years ago, but as a refresher, just I'd love for you to share kind of what was the defining moment for you to dig so deeply into this work around multiple sclerosis. So I want to tell the story in real time as it happens. Yes. So in medical school, I started having electrical face pains. I can tell they're worse with stress, poor sleep. They gradually are more frequent, more severe, and will ultimately be diagnosed as trigeminal neuralgia. Then uh, 20 years after they begin, I start having weakness in my left leg. And I see the neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad or really, really bad. I go through workup for the next uh, three weeks. And I hear the term multiple sclerosis, see the best people, take the newest drugs. But I continue to decline, the face pains continue to worsen. And three years later, I hear tilt recline wheelchair. My trigeminal neuralgia is much worse. I am introduced to the paleo diet by my neurology team, and I adopt that, but I continue to worsen. And that's when I go back to reading the basic science. Uh, reading PubMed, and I decide that the mitochondrial dysfunction drives disability. I create a supplement cocktail for my mitochondria, which helps my fatigue a little bit. The speed of my decline slows. I'm very grateful. But by 2007, I cannot sit up anymore in a regular chair. I'm in a zero-gravity chair. I'm beginning to have brain fog. My face pains are far uh, more severe, more difficult to turn off. I discover a study using electrical stimulation of muscles. I convince my physical therapist to let me try it. Test session hurts bad, really quite bad. But when it's over, I feel great. And we add e-stim uh, to my physical therapy. Then I discover the Institute for Functional Medicine. I take their course on neuroprotection. I have a longer list of supplements. And I 
uh, in adding those. I've been doing the paleo diet for five years. And then I had this really big aha, and I'm actually embarrassed by how long it took me to have this aha. What if I redesign my paleo diet based on this long list of nutrients that I'm taking in supplement form? That's more research. I get that sorted out, and I start this new way of eating uh, December 26, 2007. Now, at that time, I'm beginning to have brain fog. Uh, that's much more severe. I know I'm going to have to finally apply for medical disability. I can walk just a few steps using two walking sticks. Otherwise, I'm in this zero-gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose. I cannot sit up more than 10 minutes. It's clear I'm headed to, towards becoming bedridden, demented, and probably soon living with intractable electrical face pain. And I start this new way of eating. I'm doing e-stim, and I'm doing all this to slow my decline because I know that with progressive MS, you functions once lost are not coming back. And to my amazement, by the end of January, I realized that my mental clarity is improving, my fatigue is reducing, and my physical therapist says, Terry, you're definitely stronger. I'm going to advance your exercises. You can now do 10 minutes twice a day. That's double. I can do 15 minutes twice a day, Mm -hmm. and then 20 minutes twice a day, and then 30 minutes twice a day, and then I start sneaking in little exercise sessions while I'm at work. And I begin walking with two walking sticks, then with one walking stick, and then without any walking sticks. And in April, I tell my my wife, Jackie, that I'd like to try uh, riding my bike. And I haven't ridden my bike in six years. She says, well, you know, maybe in the fall, things keep going well, well, we can get your bike out. Well, two weeks later, I really want to try riding my bike. It's Mother's Day, and we have this emergency family meeting. Jackie tells my 16-year-old boy, who's six foot five, football player, big guy, uh, you jog alongside on the left. She tells my daughter, who's 13, you jog alongside on the right, and she'll follow. And we get in position, and I push off, and I bike around the block. You know that big 16-year-old boy? He's crying. The 13-year-old, she's crying. Jackie's crying. When I talk about this even now, you know, my voice gets tight, and I, and I start crying because... That was when I knew that the the current understanding of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is incomplete, and who knows how much recovery might be possible. So I began biking every day, a little bit more. Uh, And then in October, Jackie says, let's sign you up for the Courage Ride. It's 18.5 miles. However far you go will be a triumph. And I have to rest a couple times, but I bike the whole way. And so when I cross the finish line, we're all crying. My kids are crying, Jackie's crying, I'm crying. And this fundamentally changes how I think about disease and health and the way I practice medicine and the focus of the research that I do. And forgive me, I have to wipe my nose because I can't tell that story without crying. Well, I can imagine. I mean, being a mom with children that are still in school in junior high and high school, and as they're watching their mom the prognosis of what's going on. And it's, you know, it's not looking good, like you said. And then, then there was this massive turning point where things start to improve and improve gradually at first, and then kind of in a miraculous kind of way, things that most have never seen when it comes to the progression of MS in terms of recovery. I can imagine that was a massive moment, especially on Mother's Day. You know, and then the following Sunday, when I tell my folks at the church that I attend, uh, and I start to tell the story, 
And I start crying. Then Jackie uh, finishes the story. Of course, everyone is so excited for it because they had seen the dramatic decline. Uh, that was a, a, a very remarkable time uh, in our lives. I can, of course, I'm crying again. Yeah, I I'm I'm about to cry as, as a mama and fellow fellow practitioner, and just so that just that journey. I have a very, I mean, in relative, I I have Hajimoto's thyroiditis that we have in remission. I've read I've read your books so many times, just because I know that it translates into so much, so many different types of autoimmunity that I want to speak into later in this conversation, but. Like you said, that realization that what we know about the second progression of multiple sclerosis, it, we, you just blew it up. You just opened the door for the possibility of, of a faster and more progressive type of recovery. You know, and what is wild, um, so I, I had this remarkable uh, recovery, and I began talking where I was invited to churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, community colleges. And people in the MS world uh, thought I was really very dangerous, that I was creating this false hope, that I was painting a story that just does not happen. They said I never had MS, that my physicians were incompetent. Clearly, I had something else because progressive MS does not reverse. And now, fortunately, I'd seen the very best MS centers in the country, multiple MS centers, I'm also a little socially oblivious, so all this criticism, I didn't really notice. It was hard for my family, and fortunately for me, my chair of medicine and my chief of staff at the VA thought I should do a clinical trial testing, could this work in others with progressive MS? So they got me the mentors, and I changed the focus of my research, which had been diagnostic error, into doing clinical trials. And uh, as you know, uh, that first study uh, was remarkably successful. People could implement this complicated regimen. The biggest side effect was if you were overweight, you lost weight without being hungry. And you got back to the weight that you were at in your early 20s. And then as a group, we held their walking function stable, which is stunning because you'd expect a 10 to 15% worsening every year and half of the folks had clinically meaningful improvements in either hand function or walking function. And as a group, we had remarkable reduction in fatigue, improvement in quality of life, reduction in anxiety, depression, improvement in verbal reasoning and nonverbal reasoning. Truly, really quite remarkable. That's incredible. And I know that because of what you guys saw in the that first clinical trial, that the research has continued. And I hope yeah. that is slight, silented or like decreased the amount of criticism that you've been getting. And I can imagine when when you get a diagnosis like MS and it's progressed so much for you, it, it can be really hard to imagine that there being a reduction in symptoms or reversal. So I can imagine that people with it... Yeah. Certainly, people who have progressive neurologic disorders, one of the uh, very important strategies is that you let go of the future. You just learn to teach each day as it unfolds. So, you know, I'm up walking around remarkably better, less fatigue, mental clarity, less pain. But because I've let go of the future, I didn't know what any of it meant. It wasn't until I got on that bike and I biked around the block, I'm like, whoa. What this means is we really don't know how much recovery might be possible. 
Now, what is remarkable is I can jog 20 minutes. I can jog two miles. Now, it took me years of physical therapy and hard work to get that far back. And I've seen remarkable recoveries in others with progressive MS with likewise very similar intense disabilities who are wanting to do really extensive physical therapy, really work at it, and realize that this is going to be hard work. Interestingly enough, the people who've been most successful are former athletes Mm. because they understand that physical training, uh, you have big goals, you have intermediate goals, and it is years worth of work to achieve uh, really big goals. I want to talk a little bit deeper into you, and I'm so grateful that you, yeah, that you explain that it's not a walk in the park to get these, this type of reversal and to make these types of changes with progressive multiple sclerosis. But I know that in your clinical trial, the two areas that you've looked at is the efficacy of diet. Love to talk a little bit about diet, not only what has worked for you, but also what have you seen in the clinical trial? And then what, what does it look like in terms of quality of life for people with multiple sclerosis? So we've done a bunch of randomized control trials of the paleo diet, the ketogenic diet. Uh, we also included a study of the low-fat diet. And then inconsistently we find that you improve your diet, fatigue goes down, quality of life goes up, mental health, physical health, quality of life improves. My uh, colleague, Dr. Snutzler and Dr. Titcomb, did a really uh, interesting study called a network meta-analysis. And in that kind of study, you take uh, other randomized controlled studies that have been done of of diet in the study of MS that looked at their impact on fatigue and quality of life. And then they combine them uh, and do something called a standardized mean difference. So measure what was the level of fatigue reduction or improvement in quality of life. And uh, through this statistical means, they can go from the most effective to the least effective. It's how MS studies rank order how effective uh, the various drugs are. So this let them rank order the effectiveness of diet. So for fatigue, it went the modified paleo diet, which basically is the Walls diet, uh, the Mediterranean diet, and then the low-fat diets, which are the Swank diet and the McDougall diets. And then for improving quality of life, it, it, there's, there's just two diets, the modified paleo diet and the Mediterranean diet. The other diets that were not reliably effective were the ketogenic diet, anti-inflammation diet, a fasting pattern, and calorie restriction. Now, of course, the usual diet, which is absolutely... Absolutely not helpful. uh, (laughs) uh, Not effective. Uh, And then because we can get a sense of the relative effectiveness, the paleo diet is basically about 50% more effective than the Mediterranean diet or the uh, low-fat diet for fatigue, and about 50% more effect, well, about twice as effective as the Mediterranean diet for improving quality of life. My mm-hmm. message, though, you know, and I think uh, Snutzler's message and Titcomb's message is you got to fix your diet according to what you and your family can do, and also your clinical comorbidities. So if you've been told to follow a low-fat diet, because uh, you have severe elevations of your cholesterol, then you know, by all means, do the low-fat diet. If what speaks to you is the Mediterranean diet, do that. 
if you want the diet with the highest effect size and realize that, yes, it is more work, then you do the modified paleo diet. Let's talk a little bit about the modified paleo diet, which is really the wall's diet. It's yours. It's what you created. It's in the, you'll find that in the walls protocol in the book. I'll have the link in there. I believe you may be, you have a new book coming out, but if not, that's the book I'll make sure to have in the show notes and whatever else you would love to have me have Terry inside of our show notes. But talk to me about the modified walls diet. And this is the diet that consistently you have been on since 2007 or 2006. Okay. So it's what I've been on since 2007. Now I continue to refine and learn as I go. And I put it in levels so that you, and the way you can think about this is mm-hmm. we have the standard American diet, then the next level up really is the Mediterranean diet, uh, rich in olive oil, beans, fish, uh, grass-finished meats, lots of vegetables. Good diet, and you can still have uh, gluten and dairy in that. You can then take gluten and dairy out and do a gluten-free version of the Mediterranean diet, which looks pretty similar to Wall's level one, really. And so you could do that as a not more fruits and more vegetables, particularly greens, sulfur-rich, cabbage, onion, mushroom family, in deeply colored things like beets, carrots, berries. You have to have protein because we need protein to make all of our, our structures. And you can do it as a vegetarian or a vegan with beans and rice or with meat and fish if you're an omnivore, that is, you're eating animal products. I take eggs out. In part because eggs are a big problem for me. If I have eggs, it turns on my face pain. And the IRB, in their wisdom, required me to have use my study diet when I did my first study. And then the nature of research is that you always build on your earlier studies. So I've continued to carry that diet forward uh, in my other studies. We add in uh, fermented foods, organ meats, uh, heart, tongue, liver, gizzards, because they have so many great uh, nutrients in them. We add uh, nutritional yeast. I add seaweed, uh, algae, uh, like corolla as well, again, for their beneficial nutrient profile and the beneficial effect they have on the microbiome. And then I have a ketogenic version uh, for people who have more. We've had a lot of history of the ketogenic diet for people with seizure disorders. Uh, about 100 years worth of history, as a matter of fact. More recently, we've been using that for people with insulin resistance, uh, cancers, uh, and uh, cognitive decline. And there is certainly emerging research that looks very exciting for the ketogenic diet being very helpful for people with autoimmunity, including people with multiple sclerosis. And we are comparing the modified paleo diet and the keto diet to the usual diet in the clinical trial that we're doing right now. Quick question on the modified keto diet, which is the WALS protocol versus a ketogenic. Could you modify the WALS to be more keto focused? Is that kind of what you've looked at as like, hey, when we have... So it's the level three uh, and I have two versions of that. One that emphasizes coconut oil Mm -hmm. uh, and MCTs. Uh, And the advantage of that is you get to have more carbs and so it's easier to follow. If you like coconut milk and coconut oil, it's really quite delicious. Coconut milk, I think, is, is really quite delicious. The downside is it may drive your cholesterol up. Right. 
knowing what we know about cholesterol and looking at low density lipoproteins versus high density, because obviously the, the, the cholesterol profile can get a little bit more complex. I mean, and I guess it depends like is <laughs> when it comes to lessening symptoms or reversing symptoms of, of MS, I guess you just weigh that against potential more cardiometabolic concerns? Well, you want to have a diet that people are going to be safe on. Yes. Long, okay. For the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Because whatever diet that they have success with, we would want them to keep that going the rest of their life. Therefore, and I also want to point out to everyone listening that most ketogenic diets are very heavy into eggs. Yes. Very heavy into dairy fat which I'm telling people are inflammatory. Yeah, so it's a no-go. using those fats, uh, I'd much rather you use olive oil. Avocado, uh, nuts and seeds. Yeah, avocados uh, in uh, olive oil. Therefore, uh, it also greatly reduces the anxiety in the internal medicine community and the cardiologist if we're putting someone on a ketogenic diet that is based on olive oil as opposed to one that's based on eggs and butter. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, because when I was thinking about a ketogenic protocol that was a variation of your protocol of the modified paleo, I was just thinking more added avocado and olive oil and nuts and seeds. I wasn't thinking we would bring back dairy or eggs. I know even for my protocols. And obviously, I would not do that. Yeah. But if people are looking at keto recipes, keto blogs, keto information in the public space, we have that difficulty. Yeah. In our study, people are in our study, mm. they're on a keto diet, they're looking at all these keto blogs, and they're wanting to lean way into eggs. Got it. And dairy, and I'm like, no, 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 we're, we're not doing that. We are leaning into our work. Got it. Okay. And so probably safe to say, like you said, in terms of a reduction of symptoms, a reversal of some symptoms when it comes to multiple sclerosis, and really, we can extend that out into potentially autoimmune protocols, not just neurodegenerative protocols, but that the modified um, walls protocol is probably the one that's going to get us the best results. We certainly found that, so there are many more people with psoriasis and autoimmune skin disorders and autoimmune thyroid disorders than there are with multiple sclerosis. Yes, obviously, yeah, there's and, more. And we find those communities find me and they come yeah. say, you know what? I got your book and it made all the difference in the world. I've been taking all of those disease-modifying drug treatments and still struggling with my skin disorder. I went on your protocol. I am great. And I've been able to reduce and get off those disease-modifying drugs. I so appreciate you you giving clarity on that as well. I love it because I have a protocol that I offer my, it's not as extensive as yours, but it's no grains, no processed grains, sugar, eggs, dairy, processed meat, obviously processed meats, but eggs, corn, you know, those type of foods. It's very much a kind of more autoimmune-friendly modified paleo protocol that has just been phenomenal for reversing insulin resistance even more so and helping to support women with autoimmune conditions. It's not as in-depth as yours, but it makes such a massive difference when you cut a lot of those inflammatory foods out, even ones that people don't necessarily consider inflammatory. Correct. You know, corn can be a problem. It can be a lot of cross-reactivity with mm-hmm. corn. People feel like, okay, it's, there's no gluten in it. It's wheat-free. It should be fine. But there is considerable uh, cross-reactivity. Mm-hmm. 
and many of the other ancient grains likewise still have gluten uh, and gliadin components as well. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about, in a, I don't know how strict the supplement regimen is. I know, Dr. Walls, you're still on a pretty solid supplement regimen. So on top of You know, I know that diet is looked at so much so here in the clinical trials, and I would love to talk about it in relation to how we look at drug trials for MS as well. But I also want to dive into the importance of supplements, at least you have found in your own personal case, but I'm not sure if you've also looked at clinical trials around supplementation. You know, what I want to point out to everyone is most of us have probably had five to 10 years of damage to our tissues in that autoimmune prodrome before the diagnosis. Right. And so we have a much higher nutritional requirement for repair and rebuilding than if we had been healthy the whole time. Mm-hmm. In my personal case, I feel much better when I'm taking my supplements. I do think it's helpful to have a functional medicine practitioner help you think through your medical symptoms, your comorbidities, and ideally, you could get some nutritional assessments to see how deep a hole you're in to help guide your replacement, and then to monitor you as time goes on. Because many nutrients have what we call a U-shaped curve. So if you have too little of the nutrient, you have a disease state. And if you have too much of a nutrient, you can develop a disease state because a lot of our nutrients are tied to two or three nutrients for the same transporter receptor that takes it into your system. There's a broad range where we have good health, and then another broad range where we have eh, maybe marginal health, and then we have a disease state. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where working with a practitioner to help you monitor to know, are you in that broad range of good health, in the range of meh, you're developing some problems, or you're going to be in the range of disease state. Got it. I so appreciate that, that kind of context around supplementation specifically. I don't know if people really understand the kind of the difference between diet studies differing from drug studies, especially when we're talking about yeah. multiple sclerosis, when a lot of the studies are pointed to drug studies. Yeah. So drugs are built around a single molecular pathway that we're going to target receptor to make it go up or down. And that's pretty easy because now I can take a placebo or the active drug and the investigator, the patient, they don't know. It's simple. It's easy to do. If I use a supplement, I could likewise make placebos and that would be easy to do. If I'm going to use food, people know what they're going to eat. If I use meditation or exercise or electrical stimulation, they know. They know. You can't trick them. They know what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah, they're doing it or not. (laughs) Uh, And so it's a different kind of study. It's a different kind uh, of investigation. And one of the big things that I did for the MS Society, when they decided that they were going to have to do diet and wellness research, I said, you have to have different scientists for your peer review of the protocols, because this is not at all like a drug study. You need to have uh, registered dietitians who have PhDs to evaluate the drug, the diet studies. You need to have physical medicine and rehab docs to help evaluate the rehab studies, because good rehabilitation 
It's going to involve great nutrition, physical therapy, maybe occupational therapy, maybe speech therapy, maybe uh, talk therapy of some type. It's a very complementary, multimodal intervention. And as a matter of fact, the MS Society just put, I'm so proud of them. They asked for rehab studies. And, you know, I once again uh, met with the program officer and said, you need to really get uh, physical medicine rehab clinicians who are doing rehab in clinical practice on these review panels and not just the scientists. So hopefully they're listening. And I'm hopeful that they are. Mm. I was thinking about when it comes to this kind of clinical trials and this research, it's just more complex. It's more complex. It's much, it's much more complicated. It's much more complicated to do because imagine, so we'll just say I'm going to use just diet. I'm going to take people who are following the standard American diet, who most of whom don't know how to shop, meal plan, or cook. We're going to have them learn new recipes, new ingredients, they have to learn how to meal plan. They're probably fatigued, so we have to teach them how to do all these things. And then the people who are willing to be randomized to a diet study, they don't want to be in the control room because they've decided, okay, I want to improve my diet. I'm willing to make changes. And in the consent, I have to describe the intervention diet in, in plenty of detail. Mm-hmm. And then, so the control arm can say, I don't feel like being out of control. I'm going to follow the intervention diet as well as they can mm. based on my consent, which I outlined the diet. The control diets always improve compared to the standard American diet. And the control group always improves at least somewhat. And then the intervention diet presumably will improve because we designed the diet very systematically. Yeah, thanks for giving a little bit of clarity and context into what that actually looks like and, and how difficult. Like, I just love that you are taking such a big undertaking, like your passion and your purpose is, I mean, definitely doesn't go unnoticed over here, that's for sure. I want to shift lanes for a second because I know there were many years, like you said, that often we're developing these autoimmune conditions and have no idea. And then one day we get this diagnosis. And I know for you, probably even with the trigeminal diagnosis, trigeminal neuralgia, there probably was signs and symptoms of MS then too. You know, are you looking at all in terms of what does it look like for early detection or what can we do? Yes. So... There's more recognition that systemic autoimmune disease, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, inflammatory bowel disease, and probably also Hashimoto's. I don't know the literature for psoriasis. There is a 10 to 15 years of prodrome. The prodrome is pretty typical for all of these disease states. Higher rates of chronic headache, higher rates of migraines, higher rates of severe uh, pelvic pain with your periods, uh, heavy blood flow, higher rates of infertility, higher rates of skin rashes, higher rates of uh, eczema, higher rates of fatigue, higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression. So those conditions are part of a prodrome that if we don't figure out what are the root causes that are contributing to why you have all of those conditions, you are at much greater rate of developing multiple sclerosis, of developing inflammatory bowel disease, of developing rheumatoid arthritis or systemic lupus. 
The other is also uh, through a neuroendometriosis. I was going to say endometriosis, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, you know, I can look at my own personal history. Okay, so how many of those prodromes did I have? I had migraines. I struggled with depression uh, since I was an adolescent. I had uh, severe bleeding uh, and uh, pelvic pain with my periods. I just thought, okay, that's just a lot of life. Don't complain about it. That's what they tell all of us, right? <laughs> it, it happens to us all, so, you know, don't complain. And then when I decided I wanted to have kids, I was struggling with getting uh, pregnant, so I had infertility. Then uh, we did an ultrasound, and they said, oh, you've got uh, ovarian cysts. As a matter of fact, you need to have surgery. Uh, and should have surgery next week because you have a really large ovarian cyst, and uh, this might be ovarian cancer. So I had this surgery. I said, no, no, no. What you have is severe, severe endometriosis all throughout uh, your pelvis. Uh, and uh, we did remove the ovarian cyst. We, we, we saved your ovaries for you. So migraines, headache, depression, infertility, endometriosis. Which... I believe in the research is looking at endometriosis being an autoimmune condition. It's an autoimmune yeah. problem. Mm-hmm. Well, a problem. We, it hasn't been fully diagnosed as a, right. it's, it's not in that. It's one of the, you know, there are 80 confirmed autoimmune diagnoses and another couple hundred that have autoimmune processes that I predict we will eventually say, oh yeah, they're, they are autoimmune disease. Yeah. Yeah, I so often I see women with with endo eventually get Hajimoto's or maybe fibromyalgia, and we will see more than one. So, so yeah, we see a cluster of inflammatory issues that kind of aren't adding up, and we're not putting the pieces together until at some point maybe a bigger autoimmune condition arises from it. And you know, when I first started changing how I practice medicine, mm-hmm. and I started talking to my patients about their diet, their lifestyle. Uh, my partners, it drove them crazy. Like, you know, my chief of staff called me and said, you know, Terry, people are complaining that you're using the same intervention for every disease state. Every disease you encounter, you get the same intervention. And I'm like, well, I am just trying to help their cells function a bit better. We all have mitochondria, we all have cell membranes, and that's the focus of the nutritional intervention that I'm giving well, okay. And so how can I hurt people by telling them to eat more vegetables and to take a good multivitamin and a B vitamin? Right. I, well, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, a mito- about mitochondrial dysfunction. That's a major driver for a lot of disease. I and mean, I know that that's been an area that you really focus on optimizing. At the very least, we know that when we have dysfunctional mitochondria, we're going to feel pretty tired. We're going to feel pretty brain fogged. But we know research, more and more research is coming out that mitochondrial dysfunction is lending to cardiometabolic disease and cancer and autoimmune conditions. And so what is your take on what we can do from a preventative standpoint? Because I feel like we're all of us are damaging our mitochondria. Yeah, we, you know, we all are. So there's two components. One is to stop damaging your mitochondria. Yes. And the other is to nourish your mitochondria. So in terms of stop damaging your mitochondria, a lot of the toxins that we are encountering in what's called the exposome, everything that we're exposed to, they work by interfering with the electron transport chain, which is a fancy way of saying all of those enzymatic steps that the mitochondria use to generate ATP. Mm-hmm. And so the heavy metals compete with the role for zinc and magnesium that should 
be facilitating these chemical reactions in the mitochondria. But if you don't have enough zinc and magnesium, the cadmium, arsenic, uh, mercury will displace and will poison those enzymes. Then the pesticides that we use to kill and bug companies uh, use around buildings in industry in our homes to control infestation of ants and other and termites and other stuff. Those pesticides will also poison those electron transport chemical reactions as well. And then again, you know, coenzyme Q is a key constituent of some of those enzymes as well. Uh, our B vitamins uh, all have roles to play in facilitating those chemical reactions. And then when people think about our vitamins, they often forget that the vitamins, in addition to having your B, your thiamine, B1, uh, your folate, B2, your niacin, B3, or folate, B9, uh, or cobalamin, B12, that they also have uh, mineral cofactors. Yes. So if we're depleted in our minerals, even if we have enough vitamins, it's going to be a problem. And if our soils, uh, in part because we've been using glyphosate uh, from Roundup to keep the weeds down, and now there's uh, additional herbicides added because the plants are now resistant to glyphosate, they bind minerals. So the plants are becoming mineral depleted. Which, and the plants are mineral depleted, that means the grains that we feed our livestock are mineral depleted, and the minerals in meat are some of the most readily absorbed, and the meat has fewer and fewer minerals, which is why uh, you know, dairy cattle die at younger and younger ages. I could wax eloquent here, but our food supply is less and less nutritious, Right. Uh, and that uh, certainly adds to our compromise. I was curious, I know that this plays a major role. And obviously, there's hormetic stresses that we can put on our mitochondria, there's minerals and supplementation, like you said, specifically to feed the electron transport port chain, like CoQ10 and acetyl L-carnitine. But it's a multifaceted approach, not only to reduce our toxic load that's affecting our mitochondria, but also to help build up and create resilience for our mitochondria. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of lifestyles. But I think it's something that we just have to be diligently consistent with with every single day. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So reduce your, your toxic exposure is a huge first step. And then improving your nutrition uh, is second step. And the reason why I'm asking is, is, you know, we're talking about root cause and, you know, that ultimately autoimmune conditions do have a root cause and their lifestyle, their environmental. And with so many women getting diagnosed, I was just reading a lot of statistics that 88% of women have some level of cardiometabolic dysfunction by the time they're 45 years old. And that two thirds of Alzheimer patients are women. And that 75% of autoimmune patients are females. And it's like, so just looking at the landscape of what are things that we could be doing on a preventative level, if we're starting to see some of these signs show up, things like migraines and symptoms of estrogen dominance and uh, the digestive issues, kind of getting in front of it before these explode into something more serious down the line. In my practice, the very first thing I ask people to do is think about what is your why? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to go on this journey? Because it's going to be work. Yeah. And to be willing to do the work 
we have a very helpful to have a lot of clarity as to what is going to help you to be willing to do this. Often it's for our children, our grandchildren, our spouse. Every now and then some woman is incredibly inside saying, no, because of me, I got to be feeling better. I endorse it. That's a great reason as well. Embrace your why. Then I have a conversation. What is the domain you want to work on first? Because it's probably easiest to do one things one at a time. And nutrition, very impactful. I love it when people want to start there. Sometimes people aren't ready to start there, and they're ready to start on meditation and mindfulness, and so we'll start there. Others, what they're ready to start on is their exercise program or their sleep program or the practice of gratitude. And I used to be very dogmatic. No, no, you've got, you have to start on diet. <laughs> and I finally let go of that and realized that I need to let people tell me where they want to start. And then once we figure out the domain they want to start on, then my next approach is it's easier, far easier to add than to subtract. So the first thing when we have the domain worked out, we work on what are the ads for that domain. So they've decided they want to work on food. So before I ask them to remove stuff, we'll talk about their diet and work out what are the ads. And so I'll talk about the green leafy vegetables, the cabbage, onion, mushroom family vegetables, and the color. We'll work out their ads. They get their ads firmly in hand. Then when they next time they come see me, or actually they're working with my health coach. So, uh, so the first week is all about the ads. The second week is, okay, let's talk about the subtraction. Then we talk about sugar, processed foods, uh, fast foods, gluten, dairy, and eggs. And again, I have the patients sort out what day is their start day so they can negotiate when that's going to be and what are the things they're going to add and how will the family support you. And I explain that for all of us, things that we're addicted to, if we see them, they're going to find our mouth and we'll be chewing and eating them before we know it. So it will be very helpful if your family can agree that you don't have to see it anymore. And what does that mean? Does it mean you don't see it at your meal? You don't see it in the kitchen? You don't see it in the cupboard? You and your family can work out what you're not having to look at it means. Mm -hmm. And the family should get to eat what they want when they're away from you. But they aren't going to come home and talk to you about just how wonderful that pizza and beer was. (laughs) Yeah. And I hope that the family is is okay with it just not being in the house. You know, it's amazing how easy it is to find. Now, some families decide that it can be in the house, but they're going to put it on a, in a separate room. They're going to put it on a high shelf that I can't reach without getting the stuff louder. Right. And it's so all of it's only can- devoted to that cabinet really high. Yeah. And no one's going to consume it in my presence. So the family can have a conversation as to what does my not having to watch it look like, mean for the family. And sometimes we have to have uh, a referral for family therapy. In my experience, when a family can't have a conversation over that works well for how you're going to support me not having to watch this, when that's a struggle, it's a symptom of a family in crisis, that there's family conflict, family struggle, that someone's already checked out of the relationship, someone is contemplating leaving, 
they no longer want to be in this partnership anymore. And family conversations with a skilled talk therapist can sometimes negotiate a more effective communication that probably has been broken for a long time mm. and may be able to repair that family to a much more satisfactory uh, working relationship. When I can imagine the stress of a diagnosis like MS definitely puts a lot of more strain on a relationship or a family at large. And then having it's, to make... Very yeah. hard. And families... And now, this isn't uniform, but the... When women are diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, uh, men are more unlikely to leave than if a man is diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, women are a little more likely to stay. I certainly have met wonderful men who have stood by their spouses and have been really a phenomenal support. And I've met men who have been treated poorly by their former spouses who abandoned them. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I know that it just gets really complex. I do appreciate you laying out kind of those first steps of what it looks like. So once you get a diagnosis and you are willing to do a lot of the lifestyle changes that are going to potentially keep where you're at at bay or even reverse some of these symptoms. I agree with you wholeheartedly that diet's the first place we got to play, but I also appreciate your grace that you're willing to meet people where they're at. <laughs> I feel like I'm still stuck in the dogma of like, we got to work on this diet. <laughs> so I want people to work on their diet. I will refer them to talk therapists who can help them with their mindfulness. I'll refer them to physical therapists who can help them with their exercise. But if you want to work with me, you're going to have to do uh, work on the whole program. Mm. I'll refer you to other specialists who can work with uh, individual components for you. If you're going to come see me as a patient, we're going to expect that you will begin working on everything. And it may be step by step by step, uh, one area at a time, but we will expect that you're wanting to do everything. I appreciate that. And then I know um, in terms of where we're directing people, as I said, I'll have the book as well. It's such a beautiful starting place because you really lay it out. But also you have clinical trials going if you want to learn more about the clinical yeah. trials. And then you've got a little, kind of a little okay, one. Let, let yeah. me tell people yeah. about the clinical trials so yeah. they can tell their friends and their colleagues, help me recruit. We're comparing a olive oil-based ketogenic diet, a modified paleo diet to usual diet. People will come at uh, month zero, month three, month 24, we'll get measures of mood, uh, fatigue, quality of life, measures of walking, hand, vision, and thinking function. And we'll get a brain MRI using a research magnet, so no contrast, and we'll measure change in brain volume uh, over two years. The big question we're asking uh, is, can we improve quality of life uh, in these, all these functions that I've just mentioned? And the other question that I think is super interesting is uh, because people with MS have higher rates of brain volume loss than we see in healthy aging. Healthy aging has brain volume loss less than 0.3% per year. MS, on average, has brain volume loss of 1% per year. Can a improved diet get you back to healthy rates of brain volume loss? That's the big hypothesis. Uh, I think that'll be the most exciting paper that comes out of uh, this study. The improved quality of life uh, in various functions, I think, will be exciting. But 
know, disease-modifying drugs do a great job of turning off enhancing lesions, of turning off relapses. They do not do a very good job of improving quality of life, reducing uh, fatigue, reducing anxiety or depression, and they do not at all do a good job of getting people to healthy rates of brain volume loss. Hmm. I'm excited to see what you guys discover. It's yeah, so exciting. I have a feeling. I have a good feeling that we're gonna. You're gonna see what you're gonna. That you're yeah. gonna see improvement. We're gonna have 156 people in the study. We have consented 75, so we're, we're almost halfway there. And I think we'll be recruiting for another year, uh, and then we'll be done. We follow people for two years. It will be probably 2025 that we'll be analyzing our results and probably presenting this at some big MS scientific meetings in 2026. Mm, I love it. Well, Dr. Walls, I so appreciate you coming on the show and just really updating us on the current research and what we can do, but then also speaking into what we should be looking out for and what are some preventative steps as well. So I really appreciate the multifaceted conversation today. Thank you. All right. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Everyone check it out. I'll have the link for what's going on with the clinical trials. I will also have the book as well. If there's friends and family that you know that are interested in these trials or that want to learn more about Dr. Wall's work, especially if they've got an autoimmune condition or specifically if they've got multiple sclerosis, please go and share these links with them. Dr. Wall, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. So from this interview, you can tell Dr. Terry Walls has done what some people consider impossible, and she is proving that you can reverse symptoms of autoimmunity through her clinical trials, right? Because the research, <laughs> you got to demonstrate that research, especially when we're talking about a disease state that most people believe is completely irreversible. She is proving that there's so much possibility for what we can do in terms of healing a progressive condition like MS. Now, if you're struggling with multiple sclerosis or even any autoimmune condition from endometriosis to psoriasis to irritable bowel syndrome to Hajimoto's thyroiditis, I mean, there's so many to lupus. It is absolutely worth checking out this book. Or if you know somebody who is struggling with some of these conditions, I highly recommend recommending this book to her or them. I said her because again, 75% of us are women who are diagnosed with autoimmune conditions. And I believe that you benefit from this book regardless of what type of autoimmune condition you have because this book talks about diet, reducing your toxic load, and how to uplevel your mitochondrial health and reduce mitochondrial dysfunction all areas that we want to improve upon in order to stay healthy and have longevity for many, many years to come. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to have the links to her book, the website, and the clinical trials so that you can go and check these out in the show notes. And again, I just really appreciate you being here. And if you love the tips in today's interview with Dr. Terry Walls, be sure to subscribe for more easy ways to heal your hormones and upgrade your health. And if you have a chance, please go and review the show as well. We are getting closer and closer to a thousand reviews here on the Essentially You podcast. And it is my intention to get there this year. That way more women are tuning in to become the CEO of their health. Until the next time, have an amazing day.